Good morning, church family. I have the privilege of being your missions pastor. My name is Jason Williamson, and it is an honor to be able to preach and share a message with you this morning and not use a translator from another language. I was recently just in Uganda and had the privilege of preaching at our partner's church plant, and uh, it's always a blessing when we get a chance to do that in other places. I get a chance to share the word in other countries more than I do in our own, uh, but it is exciting because we actually have mission trips going again. So we have moved straight past COVID. Our partners are open, and I want to encourage you this morning that we've had a team recently come back from Salt Lake City and doing some great work there. We recently came back from Uganda just two weeks ago. We had a team land yesterday from Everett, Massachusetts. We have people on the ground right now in Honduras. We've got others that are going out to Mexico, back to Salt Lake, Boston, all over the world going on right now. So I'm so encouraged by what God is doing through this church. And I want to encourage you in the fact that missions has not slowed down and that it is going on as we speak with a medical camp in Honduras. I'm so excited that we get a chance to do this again. It's been three years since our last international trip. And it's so great that we can be back with our partners. If you have been joining us for the last few weeks, you know that we've been going through a series called How It All Started, as we've been going through and looking at specific characters throughout the book of Genesis. And Pastor DJ will be back next week, and he will pick up where he has left off. But we have been looking at all kinds of different things over the last month. We looked at Adam and Eve in the fall uh, we saw uh, the, the great story of Noah and the ark, Abraham and Isaac, Jacob and Esau last week. And if you missed any of those messages, they are all available online for you to go back and listen to. Our pastors have done such an amazing job of sharing the word over the last four weeks. And I'm excited that I can be with you today. We are going to be in Genesis 45 this morning looking at Joseph. The thing, though, that we have to think about is that Joseph's life was incredibly robust and complex, and it's very long also. We, we start by seeing Joseph's birth around Genesis 37, and it goes all the way through the end of the book in chapter 50. And so we're going to look at 45 today, but we really had to figure out how in the world do we get caught up on 37 through 44 in just a, a moment? Because there's so much richness and important detail in his life that we, we got to figure out how to get to this backstory a little bit before we begin. I'll date myself. I, I, I was born in 1981, and the television that I would watch growing up was a lot simpler than what we get a chance to enjoy today. I know that there's probably some Marvel fans in the house. There's a couple. And, and now, it takes the most supreme nerd in order to grasp the multiverse and all of the storylines and plot lines in the superhero world. I just try to watch the movies and not ask a lot of questions, but it was really, really hard to see that. We, we don't get that a lot uh, in the past. When I, when I was growing up, things were a lot easier then. And, and I mean, look at some of the other shows that we have going on now. If you were to just pick up and watch an episode of This Is Us, and you had not seen what was going on previously, you would be completely 
confused. How is somebody who has died in season one still alive in season five? It doesn't make sense other than you're going to need tissues. You would be completely lost if you didn't know what was going on. And speaking of lost, if you were watching that show back in the early 2000s and you just joined in like, let's say, a random episode in season three, you would have no idea what's going on. I don't know that the writers understood what they were doing. You would wish that you were also on a desert island. Speaking of desert islands, how easy was it for you to understand what was going on in any episode of Gilligan's Island? It didn't matter if you had seen one episode or all of them. At the introduction, you understand the plot. You know that there's a skipper and a first mate and five passengers, and they, end up, they ended up on an island. And no matter what the professor was making or no, or no matter what shenanigans Gilligan was doing, you knew why they were there and how they were trying to get off. It's, it was that easy. And it all said it in that introduction. I also think of one of my favorite shows growing up was The Jetsons. Jetsons. You knew every character if you watched the introduction. It says, meet George Jetson. And then it goes out to outline all of his family. His son Elroy, his daughter Judy, Jane, his wife. And you see him zapping them out of his car. You see all these fancy space buildings. And he lands into spacely sprockets and he pushes a button and his car folds up into a suitcase and he walks in and he does whatever he does. It was so easy. You just understood everything. But then there's Joseph's life, Genesis 37 to 44. And if only there was a show for that, maybe one that talked about how a guy got into some trouble and had to relocate to another area. Maybe he was born in West Philadelphia. So if you'll indulge me for just a moment, this is a story all about how Joseph's life got flipped, turned upside down. I'd like to take a minute, it won't be sad. I'll tell you how he became the savior of his bros and his dad. In the land of Canaan, Joe was born and raised. As a shepherd is where he spent most of his days. Got a colorful robe, looking all cool. His dad's favorite son, but his brothers thought he was a fool. As for those brothers, they were up to no good. They plotted a scheme to get him out of the hood. They got in one little fight. He was left in a pit. Told dad, Joe's eaten by an animal. Here's all that's left of it. Joe went to Egypt and wanted a bail. He ran from Potter's wife and was thrown into jail. He interpreted some dreams of the baker and cupbearer. One was released. One was killed. Oh, what a terror. Joe pulled up to Potter, uh, Pharaoh's house and told him about his dream. He yelled, it smells like a famine, y'all gonna scream. He looked at his brothers, they were finally there, while he sat on his throne and showed them that he still cared. And that brings us to Genesis 45. <laughs> well, thank you. If Hollywood calls, just tell them that I'm not done yet. So let, let's, let's look first at the first three verses of Genesis 45. It says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? 
But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. The first thing that we see here is that Joseph conceded his identity. Joseph's life, it was filled with such turmoil. And as we just very quickly recapped, there's all kinds of stuff that happened before he rose to power. In chapters 42 to 44, Joseph's brothers uh, come to Egypt to buy food. There was this big famine going on in the land that Joseph foretold through interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. He, we knew that there was going to be a, a season of prosperity and, and a lot of excess, and then there was going to be a long season of famine and hunger. And so the, the brothers found out that there was a wealth of food going on in Egypt, and so they went there, and Joseph's brothers came to Egypt to buy that food. Joseph said that he, he saw his brothers and he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and even spoke harshly to them. He wasn't ready to see them and have them engaged in his life just yet. In chapter 43, the brothers returned and, they, and Joseph started to inquire about his dad and his youngest brother, Benjamin, that he had a very special relationship with. In chapter 44, Joseph tests his brothers again and ultimately sees their faithfulness and honesty. And, and through that desperation, Joseph decided that his tune would change a little bit and he was ready to intervene and look for restoration in his family. But as we saw this passage, the first thing is that Joseph is overcome by emotion. He's so overwhelmed that he knows that he's about to break down. He sends out all of the servants from the room, but he still began to weep so loud that they could hear him from outside. And eventually we'll see that Pharaoh caught word of what was going on. And then the big reveal happens. Joseph has psyched himself up and he's ready to break down this barrier that's between him and his brothers. And he says, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? He got right to the point and he wanted to get to his father. He, he wanted to restore that relationship. And his father, who at this point, Joseph had been estranged from for 22 years. He had that special bond. He was his father's favorite son because he was given to Jacob in his old age. But if you look at what happens with the brothers, they don't just run up and embrace him. It says that they were confused. They were dismayed. And actually, it was more along the lines of terrified. They started to get worried. Like, if this is true, this guy has power. And like, what could he do to us? Like, not only could he not give us the food that we're trying to buy, but maybe he can make our life really, really hard. The brothers saw a man that, that could harm him, but Joseph was really starting to practice that mercy and work towards that reconciliation very quickly in just the same kind of way that Jesus would in the days to come. There's a theme that we're going to revisit as we walk through this passage. And it was interesting, I was talking to my kids at dinner one night this week, and I was telling them what we were going to be learning about on Sunday, and, and my son, it's great insight. He said, you know, there's a lot of similarities between Jesus's life and Joseph's life. And I said, well, that's called typology. We're actually going to talk about that on Sunday. And, and so this theological term, typology, it, it's this hermeneutical term that, that parallels two different things in that Joseph is a type of Christ. There's a Presbyterian theologian and author, uh, Wick Bruman, and he said this, 
A type is a shadow cast on the pages of the Old Testament history by a truth whose full embodiment or antitype is found in New Testament revelation. Meaning that there's stuff that goes on in the New Testament that we can see foreshadowed in the Old Testament. There are distinct parallels between Joseph and Jesus. And in, for example, one of them would be that like Jonah is also another kind of type. As he was spit out of the belly of the whale, it's a bit of a type towards Jesus in the way that he came out of the tomb. Here's a few other examples about Joseph. We see that in, in our rap to begin, we heard that Joseph was a shepherd. We know that Jesus is the good shepherd. Joseph was the beloved of his father, and so was Jesus, the beloved son of our heavenly father. Joseph was hated by his brothers because of their jealousy for his status with Jacob, and also because of the words that he said when he interpreted this dream. He told them that one day you will bow to me. They didn't like that. They hated their brother because of that. Jesus was also hated because he said that his father was God, that he was himself part of the Godhead, and he had been there from the beginning. And Jesus was also hated because of the words that he spoke. Many thought that he was blaspheming, that who are you that can forgive sins and heal people? In verse 3, Joseph revealed who he was to his brothers, but they didn't believe him. How many times did Jesus tell people who he was? and have them not believe him either. He had seven I am statements in, in John, yet still one of his closest disciples turned his back on Jesus. As we move forward, we're going to look at uh, chapter, uh, sorry, uh, verse 4 through 8. Joseph, he begins to clarify his purpose. It says, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and yet there are five years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. So over these verses, Joseph does a couple of really interesting things. First, he repeats himself. He says, I, I, I'm Joseph. It's me. And he also adds some additional details. Look what he says. He says, you sold me into Egypt. This was a qualifying statement not to rub salt on an open wound, but so the brothers would know that this was Joseph. No one else in the world knew what was going on other than the brothers and Joseph. Jacob had no idea that they had sold him off. Jacob just assumed that he was attacked by an animal. They presented him his bloody robe. No one knew that other than the brothers. And so when he said, you're the ones that sold me, it is me, your brother, that you betrayed. And this is like the Jerry Springer moment of what was going on in this big reveal. And in, you see that the, the brothers, you know, initially they were silenced. He wanted to communicate exactly who he was. But in just a moment, Joseph also shares the first step of reconciliation. 
he, he begins to say, uh, do not be distressed or angry because you have sold me here. What? He's comforting his brothers now. These are the same guys who took him away from his family. They, they put him in this pit. They sold him to the Midianites who sold him again. He was removed from his family for so long. And he's saying, listen, guys, don't worry. It's really not you that sent me here. Joseph wanted reconciliation for his family, and he knew it would never happen unless forgiveness was given. They didn't even know he was alive, so they couldn't reconcile with him. He needed to start. He needed to be the one that reached out to the family first. So instead of being upset or wrathful, Joseph was incredibly soothing. He was a powerful man. He, he could have made every ounce of their lives difficult, but instead he, he was gentle and then on three different occasions, three consecutive statements, Joseph clarified it was actually God that sent him to Egypt and not the brothers. In verse 5, at the back end of that, it says, God sent, God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 7 says, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth on what would come one day. And then in verse 8, it was not you who sent me here, but God what an incredible perspective Joseph had on the hard things that happened to him. He was capable of comforting them because he also was comforted by his heavenly father. Through all of the things that he had been through, Joseph never gave up. He, he never lost faith, even though really hard things happened to him. I, I think that we often will go through a trial and wonder, like, why is this happening to me? What have I done to deserve this? Or, or, or how have I messed up? Why, why is God against me? It, it's questions like these, I think, that can be really toxic. It, it, it can cause a lot of stress and anxiety that is really not deserved or, or, or needed in our lives. And it's more about us being out of control of our lives than it is having an emphasis on God who is in control of all of our life. We live in the most medicated time in the history of the world. I, I read an article that said that 20 million antidepressant prescriptions were written in the last two months of 2020. We were all in 2020, and I get it. And, and this isn't a message about good or bad uses of medicine, but it is a message about how we rely on the Father when we're going through a trial instead of relying on other things. Joseph could have been so bitter when he was sitting in prison because he tried to do the right thing. He could have been so bitter because his family turned their back on him but instead he just pursued and every time he had an opportunity to rise up for 22 years, he was sold in that pit. He was sold twice. He tried to run out on Potiphar's wife, but still she slandered him, and Potiphar threw him in jail. He interpreted this dream for the guys in prison, and then he said, remember me, and then they didn't. Finally, somebody remembered him. You might feel like today you're going through some sort of trial as well. For some of you, it, it, it may be that you're early in that. I, I hope your trial doesn't last 22 years, but maybe you're walking into it or maybe you're right in the middle of it and you're trying to seek the Lord. 
maybe you're coming out of it and you're beginning to understand how God would use that trial in your life to move you closer to him and closer to the will that he has for you. God knew, he knew the brothers were going to throw Joseph into that pit. He knew that they were jealous of him because of the favor of his father. The brothers meant to get rid of Joseph. They meant to prosper and get him out of their hair. They meant to send him off to the Midianites, and they meant to sell him to Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife meant to slander his name, and Potiphar meant to slam him in prison. But God meant it all for good. God meant it all for good. God meant that to happen because he meant for a Messiah to one day come from that family's lineage. That was God's plan all along. Joseph just needed to be the one to reconcile that. Let's look again about some of those parallels between Joseph and Jesus. Joseph suffered according to God's predetermined plan, and so did Jesus The plan of God was to send his only son to die to forgive us for our sins. Both were obedient to that and suffered great consequences. Jesus obviously gave his life. Joseph, for a long season, gave up all of his comfort, all of the things that he cherished the most. Joseph forgave and became a savior to his brothers. And of course, Jesus also forgave And he was willing to die to save all of us who would just trust in him and place our faith in him and confess our sins before him. Jesus meant to do that for us. Joseph was one man betrayed by many. But then on the other side, Jesus was one man who died so that many could come to him. Such an incredible parallel. In verse 9, we start to see how Joseph called for his father. Look at chapter 45, verse 9 with me. It says, hurry up and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me in your children, in your children's children, in your flock, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father all of my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. He fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Immediately, Joseph turns that focus back to his father. He asks them again, where is my father? Is he alive? He tried to get a response from his brothers early on in verse 3, but they were too terrified to process what he was saying. So Joseph desperately wants to get to his father. He wants to build that relationship back, and he wants them to hurry. He says, do not tarry. He wants to see his father before he dies in his old age. He says, he says this to make sure that he is convincing. He says, go to him and say, thus says your son Joseph. 
And he, he told them that so it would be very clear that it came directly from him. And he says, tell my dad about my status and how powerful I am and the favor that I have gotten through God's grace and through Pharaoh's friendship and partnership with him that he has raised to prominence. In verse 12, it says, Your eyes see in the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father all you have seen. Joseph and Benjamin had this special relationship. I've mentioned that. And, and that's why he focused on his younger brother, so that he could be very convincing when he goes back and talks to Jacob. And he also says, look, you're hearing my voice. You're hearing my words. This isn't me through an interpreter or a scribe. It's me speaking Hebrew and not maybe what an Egyptian would have spoken. It's me. It's Joseph. You are my witness of the things that I have told you. But before Joseph sends his brothers out, he does something amazing. He makes sure that every single one of his brothers knows that they are loved and that they are forgiven. He, he starts with Benjamin and, and he kisses his neck and he weeps with them. And at the end of verse 15, it says his brothers talked with him. These are guys that just a few moments ago could barely get a word out, but now they, they start that relationship again. That, that brotherly embrace of Joseph with each one of his brothers going down this line, I, I see how healing that could be for both of them. He didn't just talk to them, he wept with every brother. The emotion was just as fresh with the second guy as it was the 12th guy. He had to initiate that healing. There's just something about when you kiss and make up and he gives his brothers this big embrace and they know that their future will be much, much different than their past. Joseph's compassion and his embrace are exactly what they needed for that reconciliation to begin. It had to start somewhere, and, and Joseph was willing to take the lead on that. He was willing to be the one that spurred that relationship to the next level. He needed to do that, and, and he wasn't abusing his power. He wasn't dangling food over their head, but we'll see in just a moment how he takes care of his family. He offered that forgiveness first. A couple more of those parallels. I just find these so rich. Joseph told his brothers to bring his father to him. Then on the other side in the New Testament, Jesus says that the only way to the father is actually through him himself. If you were going to be in heaven with the Lord one day, that it was going to start by placing your faith in Jesus, turning away from all of the things that corrupted you and understanding that you just need to come to Jesus as you are. It, it's fruitless to try to get yourself clean before you get into the shower. So many times we'll think, if I just get some stuff right in my life, then I'll go to church. Then maybe I'll give my life to Jesus. Maybe then I'll move forward and take the next step in my faith. But if you wait, it'll never happen. I know a long time ago, we were like, you know, we're going to save up some money. And once we feel like we've got all of our money saved, then, then we'll have kids. Well, we had to change our mind and our three kids are grateful for that. Otherwise, we'd, we'd still be waiting and waiting and waiting. We, we just needed to take a step and allow the Lord to bless. So Jesus says that the only way to the Father is through him. Joseph comforted those who betrayed him. 
as he hugged the neck of all of his brothers one by one. And we also know that Jesus comforted even his disciples. After Jesus resurrects, he goes to them in the book of Acts, and, and, and we see that he begins to comfort those people who were against him. And, and later on, he even says that, uh, that grace be with you. Grace be with you. And, and he, he just doesn't want them to understand that uh, he's bitter. He knew that that was going to happen. But the first thing that he wanted to do was begin to heal. So then we, we look at how Joseph begins to care for his family. In verse 16 through 28, I won't read the whole thing, but in here we see that word has gotten to Pharaoh. Pharaoh understands now that Joseph's family has come. So because of the favor that Joseph has received through Pharaoh, he basically says, like, take the fat of the land. The best we have in Egypt is the best for your family. He gives him all of these great things. He gives him great provision for his family. And he says, take the best plots of land, the wagons to transport their wives and their cattle, and that they were going to be given extra food and clothes and money for the journey. Pharaoh told Joseph in verse 20, the best of all of Egypt is yours. And this was for a guy who was previously left in a pit for dead without any kind of income or belongings while he was in prison and ultimately came out into such great prosperity that he could share that with his entire family. What an incredible testimony to the favor that he had with God. Not just Pharaoh, but how God saw for Joseph's provision. And that God all along meant for Joseph to be the catalyst to reconcile his family and get them through an even more difficult time than Joseph faced. Joseph probably still had meals during these 22 years, but the brothers were in the midst of this famine, but God provided through Joseph anyway. In the final few verses, we see how the brothers come out of Egypt and they relay the message to Joseph. They're trying to convince, uh, sorry, to Jacob. They're trying to convince him that their long lost son was actually alive. And the brothers tell Jacob this. He says that Joseph is still alive and he's ruler over the land of Egypt. And then what does it say that Jacob's heart becomes numb? He doubted the news. He didn't believe the brothers. But Joseph had anticipated this. Joseph knew that that was coming. And, and that's why he told the brothers to say, thus says your son Joseph, say it just like this. You tell him what I'm telling you. And he says, when they told him the words of Joseph, verse 27, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And I love this line. He says, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Jacob's grief was lifted and his unbelief turned into belief because of two things. First, he saw the testimony from his sons, including Benjamin. He, he got a chance to hear exactly what Joseph had said and he understood where he had been, but then he saw the fruit in the wagons and all of the goods that he received and he could trust that this was right and it was real and it was authentic and that God had done something amazing in his family. 
We don't have time today, and I have no more raps about how we get to the end of Genesis, but eventually when Jacob is blessing his sons, he's talking specifically about Joseph. He says, blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents and up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. Something incredible happened in that family. Jacob got to see Joseph and hug him and weep with him and get caught up with him. And it was nothing that Jacob did. Honestly, it was not a lot that Joseph did, but it was everything that God did in the middle of the two of them. Here's our final couple of parallels as we look at the lives of these two men. Joseph provided for the physical needs of his family in much the same way that Jesus provided for the needs of a lot of people. He fed thousands. He healed. He forgave sins. He, he made the blind see and the lame walk again. Jesus was capable of doing something that Joseph couldn't do, though. Jesus could certainly take care of physical needs, but he was able to restore their spiritual needs as well and to reconcile them with himself. The first news of Joseph being alive was rejected. First, the, the brothers didn't get it. And then Joseph, we read that, that Joseph's words didn't even settle in on Jacob right away, that his heart was numb. The disciples didn't even believe the initial reports from Mary that he was not in the tomb anymore. But this is incredible. The robe that was once taken from Joseph, the one his father gave him, it was bloodied and it was presented to the father to say, your son is dead. And Jesus was also stripped of his robe and he was bloodied and he was presented to his father as a sacrifice for our sin as well. We see the reconcil reconciliation that happens here between a family. We see the reconciliation that is foreshadowed with what it will be like when we are adopted into God's family through confessing of our sin and declaring that he is Lord of our life. I, I want to share with you a an illustration to, to close. This is about a new friend of mine. His name is Joel. I'll put a picture of him on the screen. He's He's a 17-year-old that previously was living on the streets of Kampala, Uganda for seven months. Joel was raised by a single mother. She had five kids and found it very difficult to make ends meet. She tried doing a variety of things, whatever she could, to get her hands on to make money. But there were times that she would come home and she just didn't have enough food for her kids. There was a man that was close to the family that understood their abject poverty, and he would travel from outside Kampala into Kampala pretty regularly. And so Joel was kind of at an age where he could work, and so he told the family that he would bring Joel to Kampala and that he would find work for him. So he had this business, and they would make popcorn, and Joel would hawk the popcorn on the street and kind of go car to car in traffic and, and begin to sell it from place to place. One day, Joel was on his way back to his boss from selling popcorn, and he saw a man on the side of the road that was homeless and crippled and hungry. 
And Joel was overcome by such emotion and compassion that he actually gave some of this boss's money to the man so that he could have some food. And when he went back to his boss, he began to tell him the story and the boss got really upset. He wanted that money for himself. And so he said, you're done. I'm putting you on a bus and you're going to go back to your village. So at a bus stop along the way, Joel realized, like, there's nothing for me at home. So at the bus stop, he didn't get back on. He went back to Kampala and he decided that he was going to try to hustle his way through life. Joel was really scared where, while he was on the street. He was worried that the police would pick him up, as they do very often, and they'll put young boys in essentially a prison. We visited one several years ago, and uh, it's a terrible thing. Uh, he was really worried that, about that, and he was also really worried that some of these gangs of older kids would come and beat him up if they saw that he had food. Joel would often have to hide while he was eating scraps of food. I don't know about you, but I've, I've certainly been hungry in my life, maybe not to the level that Joel was, but I, I, I've never hidden in order to eat. And he was scared when he would eat these meals. Just a few weeks ago, we had our first international mission trip that I mentioned earlier. We, we had a team of uh, about a dozen or so people that went to Kampala, Uganda. And, and while we were there, we were kind of merging two different ministries. Several years ago, uh, I started the Through Our Eyes project. We gave out 100 disposable cameras to the homeless on the streets of Spartanburg. And we asked them to photograph their life. It was an opportunity for us to share the gospel with them. And it was an opportunity for us to allow them to have a voice by giving them a camera and a purpose for a few days while they photographed their life. And it gave them a lot of joy in making art. And it was also a huge awareness thing for our community. We're actually getting ready to do that project again. It's been five years since we did it in Spartanburg. Since then, that project kind of went viral and it's been in a bunch of different states. And we had our first international project. We worked with Benjamin House Ministries, a longtime partner of ours. And we handed out 100 cameras to some of their sponsored kids. Many of you sponsor a kid in Kampala through Benjamin House. We also gave out about 18 cameras to kids that live on the street. They have no family. They're just like Joel. They have no family and they try to fend for themselves. And a lot of them, uh, they, they live in a really, really rough part of town. In 46 mission trips, I had the hardest day of ministry I've ever encountered on this last trip as we saw some of the things around these street kids. One of the photographers that was on the street, they took this picture of a group of guys. And uh, this guy that's here in the middle, he's got, a, uh, he's got a cloth soaked in jet fuel. He would smell that to get high. These other guys may have been high or passed out. And they got high so that they could numb the pains in their stomach because they were so hungry. Kids that were younger than mine passed out on the ground. Incredibly difficult sight. Joel, in our story, he, he never really participated with any of this drug use because he was very scared about what would happen while he was unconscious. He, he didn't want to get hit by a car. He also heard or saw stories of people that would come and attack those people while they were passed out, maybe even breaking their limbs. So Joel stayed on the right side of that. 
And Joel was also one of our photographers though. He took this picture of our team handing out lollipops. You got a chance to see a little bit of the sensitivity and compassion within Joel that his picture was a lot different. He had more of a hopeful perspective on things. A great tender moment like this that he captured. And in December of 2021, Benjamin House rescued Joel off of the street after he'd been living there for seven months. Joel knew that he could have gotten away with trying to hustle, trying to do these things, maybe even bending to the side of evil and, and just being bitter. He was doing things and he was in positions that he would not have chosen for himself. He, he lost the only job that he had at the moment. He, he was in a place that was scary and terrifying for him. And he could have done evil, but instead he had a choice. And God meant that for good. Benjamin House, they, they plucked him off the streets, put him in a transition home, which was an amazing thing. And he's coming near the end of his eight month transitional process where he's been able to go through discipleship, life skills. He's got a social worker that's managing his case and encouraging him on a regular basis. And th this project, this, th this transition project, that they actually have a vocational element in this. And Joel was very interested in hairdressing. He wants to be a barber. I'll never be his client, but he wants to be a barber. And so while we were on our mission trip, Joel joined us. Not only was he one of our photographers, but he was also one of our volunteers. And so some people were washing feet and, and treating wounds. There was a medical clinic going on. We fed a bunch of kids. We, we were able to share the gospel with many. And here's a picture of Joel. Joel's cutting their hair. Joel was one of them just a few months ago. Joel wants this to be his new career and Benjamin House is working to try to get him a hairdresser's kit so that he can do this more often and, and begin a business. And Joel said he wants to be able to provide for his family through this skill and he wants to build his business enough to where he could bring his siblings on and train them and care for his family and make sure that his siblings and his parents have food and a place to stay and everything else. That's exactly what Joseph wanted too. Joseph wanted to be reconciled with his family. Joel's family had no idea where he was because he couldn't communicate back to his village and the man that dropped him off there, he didn't tell him anything either. Joel wants to tear, care for his family. He wants to reconcile with them. They're so thrilled that he is where he is because God has put him with a ministry that loves him and they know that Jesus is in Joel's heart. And they're so excited for that. Joel's already using that compassion. He's serving other people when he could have just been one of them. Joseph's brothers meant evil for him. And I believe that the enemy wanted evil for Joel, but God meant it all for good. And, and I believe that after decades of heartache, those were all melted away for Joseph and a new beginning was there for Jacob, even in his old age. Jacob and Esau, they, they, we heard just last week about the challenges in their lives, but they reconciled, Genesis 33, 4, they embraced and they made up. 
And this was so important because after Joseph dies in Genesis 50, the brothers still feared the wrath of Joseph, but he says, do not fear. This was a fractured family at multiple points, but now they would live in harmony together because one man was willing to suffer and he was willing to persevere and he was willing to forgive. And it's so important because ultimately we know that one man would be the Messiah that came from that same family and that we would also live in harmony with him in heaven one day. And I believe, and we've got an opportunity now to do one of, of three things. And, and all summer long, this altar has been open and it has been incredibly busy. It's been such a huge blessing for all of us. But I believe that there is someone today that needs to reconcile their relationship with God. I believe that there's someone that needs to take that step to grow in their faith or to declare for the very first time that I need my relationship with you to be good. I believe that there's people here today that know that they need to reconcile something with one of their family members. Whether they're sitting in the same row as you or they're a time zone away that there's a relationship that needs mending and that you're feeling that tug to be the one to initiate that healing even though you were the one that may have even been betrayed. Or it could be that you just need to step up and share the gospel with somebody that's been on your heart and your role is to help them reconcile their relationship with the Lord. So as we sing and as we close, I wanna invite you to come and lift those things up. You're welcome to come to the altar. We have pastors and our prayer room is available. But what relationship needs mending in your life? And if you feel that you are all good, then let's just give God praise for what he has done to reconcile us with him. Stand and let's sing. in
pray. Father God, you are so good to us. Thank you for calling us to you. Thank you for giving us examples on how relationships can be restored. Thank you so much for being that restoration for us when we even didn't deserve it. That when we were dead in our sins, you first loved us and you came to us and you were willing to die for us. Father, I pray that you would just fill our prayer room. If there are folks that need to talk to someone about restoring a relationship or being saved, declaring that for the first time today. Lord, thank you for what you are doing in the life of missions at the mill. Thank you for our teams who have gone out and will go out. And I thank you that there have been salvations all across the world because of what you have started in our hearts and what you have started here. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.